Um, yeah, I think that's it. Hey, let's, let's get started. We're in 2 Timothy 2. We are in week 7 of our series, God Made Known. This is a little bit different for, for us. You guys know that we usually teach through books of the Bible. We went through 2 Corinthians all year last year. We went through 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we love to walk through the Word of God that way. Uh, for this year, we thought, you know, it's, it'd be necessary for us to slow down and just try to answer the question, who is God? Like, what is God like? How do you describe God? Like, where do you begin? How does the finite get to know the infinite God? And how do you put language to that? And we have to do that by really how God revealed himself to us. So often God is basically saying, this is who I am. And he revealed himself to us. So we're walking through the characteristics and attributes of God. And so this is now the seventh week. And for me, it's been almost like a restoration of worship. Like for me, just to go, God, who are you? What do you like? When we, when we cry out, when we sing, when we pray, when we raise our hands, when we're praying over just this country, Ukraine, who are we talking to? What do you like? What kind of God is he? And so we want to answer that question. We want to look at this through, again, his characteristics and his attributes. I've quoted him a lot because it's one of the most classic works, but A.W. Tozer, who wrote a couple of different books on the attributes of God, different quote, but here's what he says. He says, one of the biggest problems of the church is the loss of the proper concept of what God is like. And if we could restore the proper concept of what God is like, it would put strength and foundation under our faith again. That's why we're doing that. That's why we're doing this. We want to put strength under our faith again. We want to restore this idea of God. What are you like? How do you reveal yourself to us? We've used this phrase that God is incomprehensible, but also knowable. He's incomprehensible. He's God, but he also made himself known. And so we're walking through these different characteristics or attributes just to have a better understanding of who God is and what he's like. So last week we looked at the idea that God is transcendent, that God is far above and high above. There's no one like God. God even says, who is my equal? And it was just kind of restoring this idea that, again, there's no one on God's playing field. Like, there's no one like him. Today, what I want to look at is simply this characteristic or attribute that God is faithful. God is faithful. Now, this means a lot to me. I'm sure it does to you. I feel like God has brought me many times back to certain passages dealing with this. That when I feel like things are falling apart, when things don't make sense to me, when I'm frustrated, when I'm tired, that God's had to remind me and push me to, I'm faithful. I'm faithful. That God is faithful. It's what Jeremiah cried out in Lamentations 3. He says, great is your faithfulness. Just great is your faithfulness, God. And I don't know if you're in this room and you're like, I don't know if he is faithful. Like, look at our world. How, how can you call God faithful? Why is God faithful? There is a sense of surrender to all of the attributes and characteristics of, of God that we study and look at. There's things from our perspective, we go, God, I just surrender to this truth that you are faithful. This is who you are. And so I want us today just to explore and talk through, and I'll probably share a little bit of my story more at the end and kind of walk through that, because I think it's one thing to know that he's faithful in a theological way, and it's another thing to know it in an experiential way. It's one thing to know that God is faithful, like, oh, yeah, I can name that. But my hope and my prayer for us today is that you would know this God who is faithful, that you wouldn't just know he is faithful, but that you would know that personally and firsthand that this God is faithful. Amen? So our text is 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to read verse 8 through 13. We'll look at a lot of other verses and, and illustrations and parables on this truth, but um, why don't we just start here? 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Kind of back up a bit. Paul says in verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, 
as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. How good is that? I'm in chains. The word of God can never be chained. Therefore, I, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. This is probably some sort of creed or psalm or song that they would sing. This saying is trustworthy for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Why don't we just pray and just invite the Lord uh, into this place. Father, um, <laughs> so bizarre to say, you, you are here. We thank you, God. We thank you that we can just join in with creation and sing and worship and praise. God, we thank you that we can join in with the church globally as we just call upon you as we pray. God, we thank you that we are just connected through you, Jesus, that you are the vine. We are the branches. God, we want to abide. We want to know you. God, we ask that you'd remove maybe just cynicism in our hearts towards this truth that you're faithful, that, God, you would just restore a perspective of who you are. Maybe we don't believe this anymore. Maybe we're just frustrated by this, but, God, that you are faithful, that you are faithful even when we are faithless. God, I just ask that you'd be made known. And, Lord, that Jesus, again, you'd be seen high and lifted up. We just pray this, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Solomon says in Proverbs 20, verse 6, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. He's like, many people proclaim their love, right? Like, I am, I'm pretty loving. Like, many, many people like to talk about it. They proclaim their steadfast love, but he goes, but a faithful man who can find. It's one thing to talk about, I'm a good friend. One thing to talk about, I'm loving. It's another thing to find someone who's faithful. You know, it seems like faithfulness is truly a rare commodity, right? Like, probably rarer than gold. It's like, who can find a faithful man, says Solomon. What a great question. When you think about that, it is hard to find faithful men and women. Just that steady, consistent, persistent faithfulness. Like, you know you can count on them. Solomon goes, man, who can find a faithful man? Why is it so rare to find faithfulness? Why is it so difficult for us to be faithful? We always want people to be faithful towards us, but are we faithful towards others? Why is it so hard? Like, what is up with this idea? I mean, we live in a time, and this is why I think we have, like, lawyers, right? This is why we have, like, NDAs. It's like, can I trust you? Like, sign right here. All right, like, oh, can I get that in writing? It's funny, this, like, last week we had a kickball thing a couple weeks ago, whatever, and uh, the city promised us over the phone that we would get our money reimbursed because it got rained out a couple months ago, and we said, hey, we just want to, like, reimburse that, you know, free, uh, you know, field thing, and they're like, oh, sorry, we don't have it in writing. I'm like, but you, you told us over the phone. Um, it's just funny, right? The idea is, like, who, who can find someone who's faithful? I think that's why we we're looking for just faithfulness. It's so difficult to find faithful men and women. You know, I do want to ask you, I want to ask you this question, and maybe it'll, like, do something in your heart, maybe good or bad, but, you know, when you think of your, your father and your mother, when you think of specifically, let's say, your dad, what one word comes to your mind? Like how would you describe maybe your dad in one word? And I'm sure in this room, there's a ton of different adjectives that would be used. For some of you, just the one word, amazing. For others, maybe absent. For some, you could say funny. They're just weird. <laughs> like, there's so many different ways. Maybe you go, man, my just incredible. 
or maybe for some it's just cruel. There's so many different ways I think we could describe or summarize, and you think about this, it's very rare you'll find, hey, give me a word to describe just anyone, and you say, faithful. What a beautiful adjective to be used to describe someone. You know, I will say, um, very thankful, very grateful. I look at my, my dad. If I had to summarize him in a word, it probably would be faithful. You know, my dad's one of those guys where, kind of like boring, just steady Eddie, you know? Like, I'm like, do you have friends? Like, what do you do? But I look at my dad, it's just very just faithful. You know, my dad worked at UPS for 30 years, just delivering packages and then eventually driving those big, you know, silver UPS trucks. 30 years of being faithful. Never got in an accident. Got like an award for that or something. Never been in an accident. Faithful. Day in, day out. I can't remember sick days, really. Like, I don't have recollection of him, like, being sick. I don't. I think about him coming to my games or just being involved in my life. Just faithful. Being married to my mom for over 40 years. Faithful. It's a very rare thing to see. And it's been a lot, obviously, to our family. I think back to just a, an illustration of this as a kid. I remember I was probably like 11 or 12. My family, my, my mom and my brother and sister were going to Palm Springs for like a weekend. My dad had to like work or something. And so I remember we're driving to Palm Springs in Southern California. This is maybe a couple hours away. Uh, and as we're driving to Palm Springs, I remember like my, right before, my mom said, hey, put my luggage in the trunk. I'm like, got it. Well, I, I didn't. So we're in the car, we're driving. And this is like, I don't know, 1999. I have no idea. And no one had a cell phone. Like, no one had a, a phone at all. And we're just driving down, like, the freeway. As we're going down the freeway, we just see a car, like, speeding up at us, like, honking, shining its brights. We're like, Who's, what is going on? Like, going on? Like, what is happening? It's my dad, like, speed up to us. He, like, pulls us over. Like, what is wrong? He's like, you forgot this. My mom looks at me with those eyes. I'm like, <laughs> like, you know, that feeling. And, like, you forgot this luggage. I'm like, oh, gosh. And I just remember, like, how did you find us? He's like, I don't know. Just, I was driving down really fast, looking for your car. Like, that is so cool. That is so cool. Again, no one can't call at that time. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And it was just so crazy. It was so crazy to see him pull over and I just go, faithful, me not. <laughs> you know, uh, my, it's funny, my wife, like, she has, like, one request if I go get food. She's like, okay, get me whatever. And then she's like, just don't eat my fries. Like, don't eat my fries. Got you. Don't eat fries. Yep. Got it. Come back home. She's like, why is it half eaten? I'm like, I don't know. My hand just did it. I don't know. It just, it just does it. My thing is, like, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. It is, very, it is very rare. It's hard. It's difficult. And, and even then, people who you might look and they say, oh, they have all these things. I mean, there's still going to be moments where they're just not faithful. There's still going to be moments where they fail you at some point. And it's still going to be heartache and pain. And you go, I thought you were faithful. I thought I could count on you. Here's the, here's the point. There's one who's perfectly and infinitely faithful. And obviously that is God. God is faithful. God is everything we've craved and wanted from another person that could never give us. And God's like, hey, I can give you that. You want faithfulness? I can be that. God is faithful. And as we talk about this, I, I, I don't really know. I had to like just kind of pray through, like, how, do you, how, do you dis- how do you just describe this? How, how do you walk through this? So we're going to try to walk through it in this way using some different texts. But God is faithful, three points. God is faithful, number one. God is faithful, it's his nature. Number two, God is faithful to his word. And number three, God is faithful even when we are faithless. So let's just talk about this. God is faithful, it's his nature, number one, all right? God is faithful, it's just who he is. It's completely who, it's, it's, to, it's completely identified and tied to his nature. This is what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.13. We'll put the last phrase up. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? He cannot deny himself. Love that. It's his nature. He cannot deny himself. That's just who he is. He can't not be faithful. He cannot deny himself. And I'll look at the first part of that phrase later. But that's just simply, Paul is making that statement, this is God's nature. He cannot deny that. He cannot be unfaithful. He just can't. He can't deny himself. This is how God so often reveals himself to us throughout the scriptures. I mean, you will see this phrase, and I was amazed just seeing the phrase, God is faithful, so often in scriptures. Uh, But here's one, Deuteronomy chapter 7, 
verse 9, God is explaining himself, and he says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know that your God is a faithful God. Do you know this God? Do you know or do you see God as just being a faithful God? Whether it's the Hebrew or the Greek, you get just to the basic idea of this word faithful. It just simply means trustworthy, reliable. You can lean on for support, lean on completely. He is that. He is faithful. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this. He simply says, when you say that God is faithful, you mean that he is one upon whom you can safely lean. It means one on whom you can absolutely rely, one upon whom you can depend, one upon whom you can stay yourself without ever being in any doubt that he will suddenly let go and let you go. Because this is what it means when God is faithful. Tozer in his book, again, last Tozer quote, he says, faithfulness is that in God which guarantees that he will never be or act inconsistent with himself. He'll never be or act inconsistent with himself. You know, no one can influence God. No one's going to make God greater or worse. He's faithful. That's a beautiful promise that God is God. He does not change. He is faithful. He is consistent. When you think about this, if God were not faithful, and just imagine what if God was not faithful? What if he was not reliable? You know, I think what has done more harm in our world than just unfaithfulness? What has torn apart more families than unfaithfulness? What has caused more trauma than unfaithfulness? Maybe people you thought you could trust, rely upon, maybe they're the same person that hurt you. They're the same person that took something from you. You think the opposite of faithfulness actually probably brings just the most harm, just unfaithfulness. Someone who maybe you thought you could trust, rely upon, and yet they hurt you deeply. And God is saying, this is just who I am. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I can't not be this. Just who I am. I can't deny myself. This is one of the most encouraging truths. I mean, I, I think one of the best um, examples of this in Scripture that is so clearly seen is in the book of Esther. If you guys know the story of Esther, beautiful, profound story, right? You have the Jewish people who are enslaved just to the Persians. This kind of during that Babylonian, post-Babylonian kind of empire thing. And, and you know, King Ahasuerus, he, his wife, he basically, you know, divorces his wife. He's looking for a new wife. And eventually he finds this woman named Esther. Esther's Jewish. Her people are enslaved by this king, she now becomes the queen. And if you know the story of Esther, there's a guy named Haman who just absolutely despises the Jewish people. He hates the Jewish people. Why? Because there's a guy named Mordecai, just a man who loved God, served God. He would not bow his knee to Mordecai. He, he would not worship their gods. The people would not worship their gods. If you actually look at Haman's complaint, Haman is the number two in this kingdom. He's the number two to King Ahasuerus. And he's basically going, look, king, they're not going to worship you. They're not going to worship our gods. They have their own set of laws. They have their own sets of commands. Actually, in fact, they're probably going to try to usurp your authority and command. Like, we got to take them out before they take us out. Hated these people. And if you remember the story, Mordecai goes to Esther and says, listen, you're the queen. You've you got to speak to your husband. You've got to speak to King Ahasuerus. You cannot let this happen. Like there was a day on the calendar where basically people would be paid money to kill the Jewish people. There's a day that says, hey, you kill them, we pay you. And Mordecai, who's the cousin of Esther, says, you have to speak to your husband. You have to speak to the king. You have to move. You have to work. And she goes, you don't understand. You don't understand our culture. I can't just walk in front of him. I can't just do this. I, I, I can't. In, in some ways, it's, like, it's like you don't understand what's going on. And basically, Mordecai says this commentary in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. 
I love what he says here. He says, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. He's basically saying God is going to be faithful. doesn't matter. You can speak up or not speak up. God is going to do it. You can either be used by God and be a part of this or not. Either way, God's going to deliver us and relieve us. What, what a, a great understanding of who God is. God is not going to let us be wiped out. God's faithful. Now, either you're going to be used or not. There's something so profound about that. He's saying, I know in the face of suffering and evil, God is still going to be faithful. I don't know how. I don't know what he's going to do or what he's going to use, but he's going to be faithful. Whether it's through you or someone else, God's going to be faithful. See, think about it this way. I try to write down a few ways. When I say God is faithful, it's his nature. I'm like, okay, how do I define that a little bit? Um, God is faithful in times of suffering and evil. We have to see this. God is faithful in times of suffering and evil. Okay, maybe that's a given, but whether it's the story of Joseph, Esther, Daniel, I mean, we see this all the time. God is faithful in the moments of suffering and of evil. When all hope you feel like is lost, God's like, I'm going to show up. Maybe not how you wanted, when you wanted, and the way you expected, but he will. Paul says the same thing in this regards to suffering and evil in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul says, listen again, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. See, the same mindset, he goes, hey, God is faithful. He will establish you. He will guard you against the evil one. We got to understand in times of suffering, of loss, of pain, when I don't fully get it, God is still faithful. This is one of those questions I think that get brought up in maybe different ways, but it's like, how could a faithful God ever allow what's happening, let's say, like in the Ukraine? How could a faithful God ever allow that? It's a very difficult question. I think the problem of evil and suffering is one of the hardest questions for Christians. There's really no simple answer. There's really one of those things you just say, there's a, a sense of surrender of saying, I don't know, but God is going to be faithful in the process. There's a side of this where he might not ever deliver us from this trial or suffering, but he will deliver us in this trial and suffering. And because it goes back to this idea of what's most important. What's the goal? Like, what is the goal? Even if suffering and evil, does God have a goal? Like, is there a goal here? Is God's goal just to relieve us from temporary suffering? Or is God's goal to relieve us from eternal suffering? See, we have to see in the midst of suffering, I don't fully get it. But I know that God is faithful. I know that he will deliver in. I know that ultimately he'll deliver from from ultimate evil, from ultimate suffering. My point in this, in this is there's a sense of truly of surrender, but of seeing, I love how Henry Nouwen puts it about Jesus. He says, he's not just healer, he's the wounded healer. The idea being that Jesus is not immune to suffering himself. It's not like Jesus is like, I don't know what it's like to suffer evil. I don't know what it's like to suffer innocently. So that we serve a God who says, no, no, I'm not just a healer, but I'm the wounded healer. I mean, I know what it's like to suffer at the hands of evil myself. I know what it's like to suffer innocently. And when all hope was lost, and when death happened, there was resurrection. And it's not even how the disciples foresaw it. They're scattered and afraid. My, my point is, we don't always understand what or when or how. But God is faithful, as Paul says again in 2 Thessalonians 3, just in times of suffering and of evil. Listen, there's so many ways this plays out. I, I'm just thankful that God is suffering in different moments of life that is incredibly difficult. God is faithful in times of temptation. Like We know this. Not just suffering and evil. But when you feel like, God, I can't, like this temptation keeps creeping back in my life, God is faithful in those moments. I know it's a classic verse, you know, but just let the words kind of sink into your heart a little bit. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Paul writes, no temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man. God is faithful. Notice how he attaches God's faithfulness to this promise. He goes, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful. I love what Paul put this, by the way. 
He's like, don't feel like you're weird or isolated. I'm the only person who struggles with this temptation or sin. Nope, don't think that. This is pretty common to man, these different temptations. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted above or beyond your ability. He will give you a way to endure it. I think of Jesus just after his baptism, right? Jesus baptized in Mark chapter 3 or Matthew chapter 3. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. The Father speaks from heaven. This is my son in whom I love. And right at this highest of high moments, baptism, God the Father speaking, people hearing this, Jesus goes and he fasts in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And just after this great mountain peak experience, there's this valley. Then there's temptation. Satan himself shows up. I thought you're the beloved son in whom God is well pleased. Why won't he feed you? Make turn the stone into bread. And then you just see temptation after temptation come from Satan to Jesus. And you see Satan use scripture, but you see Jesus three different times go to scripture. Say, no, no. I'm not going to bow down to you. I'm not going to worship you. You shall worship the Lord your God. The point is he made a way of escape, and that was through the word of God. Usually our way through temptation is through God's word. Just that's it. Hey, there's a, there's a temptation. I would say cling to the word. Know the word. God is faithful to his word, which we'll look at. But give yourself to this. My thing is, God is faithful in times of suffering, evil, temptation. But there's also, there, there's this, in this verse, 2 Timothy 2.13, there's also like a counter. It's, if you read this verse, if you read this creed actually, he says, this is a faithful saying. So by the way, this seemed to be an early creed of the church of some sort, or maybe a song that the church would sing. Paul's going, no, this is good, this is good. This creed is good, it works. This is a faithful saying, 2 Timothy 2.11. This is trustworthy. You, this creed is not just like a man-made creed, this is true. And then he quotes it. And if you notice what he's quoting, we'll read actually, again in verse 11, he says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. God is faithful. The point being, God is faithful when we're faithless. Thank you, Jesus. But he's also faithful that if we deny him, he'll deny us. Meaning, God is not the person who says one thing and does the opposite. Sometimes as a parent, you can be like, hey, if you do that again, go in your room. They do it again. Okay, one more time, go in your room. All right, God's not like that. Like if he says it, he's gonna do it. So God is faithful to execute judgment. Here's what I want to say. I, I think that sometimes, and I want to be careful because I don't want to talk about God being faithful and move on from this point. You understand that God is not going to be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he'll also reap. But the side of your God is just faithful. And that's a beautiful thing, and I think that's also a warning. And I don't want to move on from that. You know, I quoted to you Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. He goes, I'm the faithful God to a thousand generations. That's verse 9, right? What does verse 10 say? So actually, we'll throw it up here again. Know therefore the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That's what we read. And repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will pray him to his face. Welcome to the exchange church where we do this. This is what we talk about. Um, I want us to see this though, for real. This is God saying, I'm faithful. I'm faithful to forgive. I'm faithful to execute judgment. I'm faithful. Again, God is not going to be mocked. This is one of those verses where I don't want to move on from it. It's one of those verses where I go, okay, God, I think we should sit in this for a little bit, even if it's uncomfortable or feels weird, that if we deny him, he'll also deny us. Did Jesus not say this in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33? He goes, hey, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. There is something where Paul saying, this is a faithful saying. This is a trustworthy saying. God cannot deny himself. He's going to be faithful in this way. I am thankful where you see a, someone like a Peter deny him. And then you see Jesus give him this opportunity for repentance. Jesus, I don't know him. No. Jesus, no, not me. I would not follow that man. Then Jesus goes, Peter, do you love me? I'm very thankful that Jesus still gives us time to repent if there's breath in our lungs. And I'd say, if there's breath in your lungs, repent. Don't deny him anymore. Don't deny him with your words or your actions or your lifestyle. There's, there's something about this where I feel like in the church we want to meditate on God's faithfulness in this beautiful way, which I want us to do in a, in a moment. But we also have to meditate it in just 
this character of God, that he will do what he says. And God is faithful in that. But he's also faithful to forgive. Because what does it say? If you confess your sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Isn't that beautiful? If you confess, he's faithful still. He's faithful. God is faithful. If you confess, he's faithful. He's faithful to forgive. Know that. My God is so faithful to forgive. To a thousand generations, my God is so faithful to say, you know what? My love's extended. My faithfulness is there. Listen, God is faithful. It's his nature. It's who he is. He cannot deny himself. We serve a faithful God. What a beautiful promise and a beautiful warning. Amen? But let's meditate on this for a little bit more. God is faithful. Listen, so God is faithful to his word. Now, again, this is really unique, right? Whose word, like as soon as they say, like, okay, they're going to be there. I feel like this week I had like a bad week. There's like a couple different times I said I was going to do something and didn't. I'm like, I'm going to be at basketball Friday. We play basketball once a month. And then the kids were acting up and I was alone. And I had to keep saying this to myself. God is faithful when my wife was on the retreat. Like, God is faithful. It's hard. Hard week. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's a couple different times I go, man, God, I want to be, I want to be like, if I say it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be done. There's only one person, if God says it, it's going to be done. If God speaks, we know it's happening. If God says something, he's going to do it. I love Balaam's prophecy in the book of Numbers, verse 23. Balaam says this about God. He says, God is not man that he should lie, or son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, or has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? If he says it, he's going to do it. Listen, God is faithful to his word. This is Jesus who comes on the scene in Matthew chapter 5, giving the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, I did not come to destroy the law. Don't think that. I came to fulfill it. I came to do it. I'm the one who's going to fulfill all this scripture, all this word. Listen, God is faithful to do his word. Paul would put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. He says, all the promises of God in him in Jesus are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. You know, we looked at this a little bit last year because we went through this book, but I need you to stay with me. I love this. God is faithful to his word. Paul says all of the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God. Now, this is so beautiful because what are the promises of God? It's like, how do, how do you even define? There's so many promises of God. I mean, in the Old Testament, there's over 3,000 different promises God makes to some extent. And he says all of the promises of God are in Jesus, yes, and amen. This is one of those revolutionary things for me and my faith. Because God is saying, if you want the promises, it's not found in your actions, but in Jesus. Like, it's found in him. So let me explain this. I mean, when you look at the Old Testament, when you look at uh, an Exodus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy, Leviticus, when you look at these different, you know, sections of Scripture, basically God is making this covenant with Israel, and he's saying, listen, I will be your God, and you shall be my people. If you do this, I will bless you. If you don't do this, I'm going to curse you. There's like this covenant being exchanged, all these promises being made, blessing promises and cursing promises. There's all these things being exchanged, right? Actually, we'll throw a few verses up here. It's Leviticus chapter 26, but here's what God says. Notice this. God's like, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in its season. I will give you peace in the land. I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful. I will walk among you and be your God. There's this, if you, I will. If you do this, I will be your God. And there's this idea of if you, then I. And that was the Old Testament. It was if you do this, then I will reward you or bless you in some sort of form or fashion. But here's the idea. We're not under this. The, the covenant, the old covenant, was what the Bible says, a schoolmaster or a teacher to bring us to Christ. It was to say, look at these commandments. Look at these, all these things God tells us to do. I could never, like, let's be honest. I could never do all these things God tells us to do. So will I then not reap the benefit? If you, then I? 
that's like a, a terrifying thing. Who can keep this? Who can do this? Jesus. He's like, it brings you to Jesus. All the promises of God are in him, yes and amen. So he's supposed to bring you to Jesus. Like, I couldn't do this, but who did do this? Jesus. Because God also has this in a negative way. Notice this. He says, in Leviticus, I'll throw up a different way. If you do not obey me and do not keep these commandments, I will even appoint terror over you. I will set my face against you. I will break the pride of your power. I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And if you do not, I will. So in the Old Testament, it was, if you, I will. If you do this, if you do not do this, I will do this. And it was very, as a contractual, more based off works. How are you going to respond? If you, I will. And then here comes Jesus, and it's not if and then, but it's yes and amen. And this is what's so profound to me about the New Testament. It's not if you, I will. It's just in Jesus, yes and amen. That is so different. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled the ifs. Now I get to benefit from the thens. That is unbelievable. All of the promises of God are in Jesus, yes and amen, to the glory of God. So it's not if you, then I. It's Jesus fulfilled it. It's, it's in Jesus. It's not if you or if then. It's yes and amen. What is that? That's grace. It's like this covenant based off works, this covenant based off grace now. We saw that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ to say what you really need is grace. You could never fulfill this. You could never do this. I'm faithful to my word. No, I'm going to do it. But I, I'm also faithful to complete it or fulfill it in Jesus. So one way I try to write it out uh, was this. Receiving the grace of God is no longer about if and then, but it's about yes and amen. So receiving this grace of God is not, okay, now if you do this, then God will do this. It's just, yes, amen, it's in Christ. What I'm trying to get at was this is so free to my, my life when I realized I didn't have to try to do good things and God's like, all right, now, now I love you. All right, you, you obeyed me? Now, now, now I love you, now you have my love. It's that in Jesus, I have his love. I, I, my life is hidden in Christ, Paul put in Colossians. There's something so free about this where you go, wait, my life is in Christ so as Paul would say in Galatians 3, I'm heirs according to the promise because I'm in Christ. Notice how he says it twice in, in 2 Corinthians 1.20. All the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen. Like notice that, underline that, in him. They're in him, yes, in him, amen. Meaning we think we want some sort of promise from God, but it's in Jesus. Meaning what you look for or want, you, maybe we want something from God, when in reality what we should want is Jesus because everything's found in him. It's in him. There's something so different about this because I think, again, in our, maybe in our walk with God, it's like, I want something from God. I want these promises. The, the best promise is Jesus. It's not like, okay, I want all these then, then things. I want all these things after. Like, the best promises are found in Jesus. He is that promise. In him, yes. In him, amen. Meaning you think, what do you think you want? God, like, I need direction. God, I, I need you to supply meet my needs. God, I need a way out. Jesus goes, I'm the way. I'm what you're looking for. God, I, I, need, I need you to supply my needs. I'm the bread of life. You see, it's like everything we think we need is in him. Yes and amen. So we think we want something from God. We want these promises. Jesus is the greatest promise. Jesus is the promise that fulfills all the promises. Know that God is faithful to his word. I'm so thankful that Jesus fulfilled the ifs and thens, and now I get the yes and amens. <laughs> There's something about just saying receive it. Receive the grace of God. Receive it. Yes, God, I will. I fought this for so long, I feel like my teens, for some reason, I'm like, it can't be that easy. The grace messed with me. Grace frustrated me. Grace was one of those things where I'm like, but I feel like I want to work for it, and God's like, that's not how it works here. I, I know you're thinking like a certain, you know, in the kingdom of man, it's if you do this, then you get this, but in the kingdom of God, it's receive it by the grace of God. Yes and amen. The promises are fulfilled in Jesus. It's just so different. Listen, God is so faithful to his word. 
And Jesus is that word made known. He's that word made flesh. Jesus is the fulfillment of his promises. Everything you and I get, I get overwhelmed at times. I go, but Jesus, all the promises of God are found in you, in you, yes, in you, amen. Again, here's my point. I just want you to crave Jesus more than you crave the blessings from God, more than you crave the thens from God, more than you crave something else from him, you crave him. The promises are in him. The point being, I need to realize God is faithful to his word, and that is because Jesus fulfilled his word. He did not abolish or destroy, he fulfilled. N.T. Wright said this way, he said, the gospel is all about God saying yes. The gospel is all about God saying yes to people through the gospel of the Son, the Messiah. Is there forgiveness? Yes. Is there new nature? Yes. Is there eternal life? Yes and amen. See, all the promise of God are in him, yes. The gospel is God saying yes. Am I loved? Yes. Am I accepted? Yes. Everything we crave for is found in him. The gospel is God saying yes. Yes, you're mine. Yes, I receive you. God is faithful to his word. It is so beautiful. God has said something, he's going to do it. And we see that he fulfilled it through his son, Jesus. So let me say this. God is faithful. It's his nature. God is faithful. He's faithful to his word. And then lastly is this. God is faithful even when we're faithless. Obviously, Paul says it this way. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. There's that phrase, I, I got to like think through that a little bit. God, when I'm faithless, you're still faithful? Your faithfulness is not contingent upon my faithfulness? That even when I'm faithless, you still remain faithful? There's something so, I mean, how, how often do we see this? Like you see God say, I'm going to bless you, Abraham and Sarah. Sarah laughs. She still conceives. Zacharias, you're going to have a son. I know you and Elizabeth are old. You're going to have a son. He's like, nope, too old. He becomes a mute, but he has a son. There's these times where like their faith is not there, but God is just like, I'm going to do it. Even when you're faithless, I'm still faithful. There's something so profound to me about this. I have to sit in this. One of my favorite stories of, of this is really kind of like a Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, you might remember the father who goes to Jesus, Jesus, my son is demon-possessed, and I, I brought my son to your disciples. They could not cast out the demon. Why couldn't they do it? They couldn't do it, but Jesus, can you? He basically says, if you can, will you heal my son? And I love it. Actually, in the Greek, like, it's a play on. Jesus is like, if I can. So he goes, if you can, heal my son. If I can. Okay? And then Jesus says, well, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Like, if you can heal my son. He's like, well, okay. Well, if you can believe. And there's this beautiful, like, play on words that Jesus is doing. He goes, okay, can you believe? You're asking me, can I heal? I'm asking you, can you believe? And, and then the cry of this man's heart is literally the cry of my heart, and probably a lot of yours. He goes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's one of those things where I just try to think through, and I, I don't know if I fully understand other than I can say, yeah, that's how I feel. There's different times in my faith and my walk, I go, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I love this because, again, it's not about the size of my faith. It is about the object of my faith. It's not about, like, how much faith do I have? Am I like, on a scale of 1 to 100? Am I 100? <laughs> it's not about the size of it. It's about what am I placing my faith in? And so Jesus goes, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes, yes, Lord, I believe, but help, help my unbelief. Help that part of me that still is, is, is doubting. I love that Jesus did not dismiss him. I love because you can't, you know, how dare you say you believe, but you have unbelief, how dare you? Jesus actually, what does he do? He casts out the demon. Jesus actually heals his son. It's okay, that's enough. Yes, I believe, help my unbelief. And then Jesus right then and there casts the demon out of his son. You know, there's this tension, I think, in the Christian walk where we just, we, in the Christian life that we have to, like, realize. Like, yes, I believe it helped that area of, of unbelief. Listen, when I'm faithless, God is faithful. He cannot deny himself. There's something where I'll say, God has been so faithful in spite of my faith. <laughs> where I go, I, it's not like, man, you've had great faith. No, I have a great God. And that's really what we're trying to, we're trying to get at. 
you know, I think all of us have different stories and examples of this. We can look back at our life and say, was it my faith or God's faithfulness? And you're going to say, yes, it was definitely God's faithfulness every single time. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, and not in a weird way, but some of you know my story, some of you don't, but there's been definitely, definitely there's been moments where God has just intervened despite my faith. I think about the time when I was like 17 years old, really kind of like, I'm all in Jesus, I'm all yours. But I feel like the course of my life kind of changed. Uh, after high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do because I thought I was going to play basketball. That was my goal to play. And I'm like, let me just take a year off and figure things out. And so I started working at a gym, which is just so crazy, so weird. I'm working at a gym. And during those four months of working at a gym, I'm like, okay, this is not fulfilling. I was like, I love sports. I love this. But like, I was really just craving the word of God. At that time, I started Bible study with my friends. And it was just like, okay, I love this. And I, I want to see people's like, life's changed, like eternity's changed, not just their body changed. And, and at least for me, that's like just that pressure and that weight. So I left the work at the gym. I went to Oregon for a week. I went to my, my buddy's dad's church. It's called Applegate Christian Fellowship. I've mentioned it before. A pastor I just really look up to. And I was there for a week. And he has these little cottages you can stay at, like for a week, just no TV, me and a buddy living in this house. It was like a Thomas Kincaid painting. It's like literally in Oregon where like you walk out your front door and there's like snow on the ground. Like I had no idea he's in the snow. And there's like deer prancing. And I'm like, where am I? You know, it's just so beautiful there in Oregon. And for a week, just seeking the Lord and meeting with this pastor and just going, I don't know God's will. What, you know, what's God doing? And it's just like, just surrender and just see what God does. And I'm like, okay, whatever. My future in my mind, like I want to do this, I want to do that. I go back home, I start working at a church as a janitor uh, for 40 hours a week, just working this church. Going from, you know, training people, seeing people like every day to literally every day. There could be days where I would not see a soul. I mean, it was just weird. You're vacuuming and cleaning toilets and you're like, I hope I can see someone today. That's like thoughts in my mind. And just listening to sermons, listening to worship, and God was just doing deep, deep work that was necessary that he needed to do in my life. Because during that time, just I started another Bible study with a couple friends. And so I'm doing these two Bible studies a week and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I want to do this for the rest of my life. And dating my wife at the time, and uh, I met with her dad. And at 19 years old, I asked for his permission to marry his wife. And it's a very long conversation where eventually I got a, a yes, sort of. Um, <laughs> and this is just my story. But this is one of those things where I'm going, okay, what's next? I'm a janitor 40 hours a week. God, what are you doing? Three days before our wedding, I get offered, like, a dream job at my home church at Calvary Costa Mesa. And it's to work in the college ministry and to work in the warehouse on some book stuff. So I'm like, great. That was actually in February 2008, right after I got married. In July 2008, you guys know just the economy tanked. Like in 2008, July, things just went downhill fast. Everyone who was hired within the last 12 months got let go. So here I am, newly married, 20 years old, just got let go from my dream job I just got like five months earlier. During that time, I was meeting uh, with the pastor at the time. His name was Chuck Smith, and we'd meet every week for like a year and a half. And I just said, hey, Chuck, I don't know if you know, but I got fired. Um, <laughs> and I was like, hey, I'm willing to do anything, like anything. You know, I just got married. And he goes, okay, we'll take care of it for you. I'm like, all right, what does that mean? No, don't you worry. <laughs> and I remember just going home, and I, I remember I got let go like right after my birthday, right before my wife's birthday in, in July. <laughs> I remember I'm supposed to teach the next night. I was just so mad. I'm like, Lord, I've been serving you for like a year now. Like, you know, there's just those thoughts. And it's one of those things where, like, also just a lot of fear. I'm like, oh, gosh, what am I going to provide? What am I going to do? What am, what am I, who am I? You know, it might not seem significant, to me, but for me, it's like one of those life altars. I'm like, well, what, what are you doing here? I remember to preach the next night. I'm like, I don't want to talk about God's faithfulness. And I remember as I'm praying to the Lord, like, is that really all it took? Like, is it just took, took you to lose your job and you're, like, already done? Like, is that it? It's like, all right, Lord, like, I guess I'll trust you. It was so weird in that process, I was asked to lead a, a trip to Austria, like a missionary trip, right before they let me go. I'm like, hey, will you lead this trip to Austria, like, to teach the youth? I'm like, sure, I'd love that. And I'm like, my job's sealed, because we heard about the cup, the cup X coming. Still got let go. It's like, we still need to lead the trip. You're just not going to get paid, and you know, you got to figure out a job. And I'm like, well, that's in two weeks, I need to get a job. So I did some, like, side jobs. I met with Chuck again. I'm like, hey, Chuck, I really need a job when I get back from this trip. Like, I want to go to Austria, I want to do this mission trip, but, like, I, we don't have money. Like, what do we do? He's like, just go. 
we'll take care of it for you. I'm like, stop saying that. What does that mean? We'll take care of it for you. I remember like, okay, whatever. Like, so my wife, I'm like, let's just go. We're going to Austria. I'm jobless. You know, I was an intern, but I'm like jobless now. I'm leading this trip in Austria. And it's one of those places in our life where like, God, we're just open. What do you want to do? We're there for a week. While I'm there, I get offered a job back at Calvary Costa Mesa in a surprising way because the kids in ministry have room on their budget. And they go, hey, we'll give your internship back and hire you. And I'm like, I thought there was no jobs. I thought you'd let go of everybody. Oh, but we still have a little bit of room in our budget. Okay. But God supplied a job in the temporary. As you guys, many of you know, I also met another pastor there who was the head pastor at Calvary Fort Lauderdale who said, hey, would you pray about moving to Florida? And we're like, I don't know what that means, but okay. And it's in this vulnerable place of going, okay, Lord, I'm open. What do you want to do? What are you doing? I, I got to be honest, going to Austria was not like I had this big faith. I was terrified. I don't have a job. I didn't want to teach God's word when I just got let go. And I go, how can I talk about God's goodness when I don't feel that right now? And it's a sense where God's like, is that, again, is that really all it took? As soon as we're there, it's like God provided in two different ways. The, the temporary needs and then long term. You know, that was in July 2008. We ended up moving here in January 2009. Been here obviously now for over 13 years. And I look and go, was that my faith or God's faithfulness? Definitely not my faith. When I look at those moments in my life where I feel like all hope is lost, I go, God, was that, like, is that me being just having great faith? I remember in 2017 getting ready to leave to plant this church terrified. My God, what if no one comes with us? What if this is pride and ego and so Like, God, what are you doing? Search me. And I remember we had prayer meetings after prayer meeting. Like, God, should we go? Should we not go? And I just remember the Lord just confirming it to us in so many different ways through people, through some of you. I remember God basically saying rest and work. And it was our clear sign, the word, same word my wife got of rest and work. Okay, we'll go. And I remember it's like, we'll leave a job of comfort to go work in pools, whatever. And it was like, again, was that, go man, just, you're so faithful. No, that was just God being so faithful. Hurricane hit. Lost my job this summer or the fall of 2017. I'm like, okay, God, what do you do now? Get offered a job at Four Kids, working like with churches and and the, just foster care, just beautiful thing. I go, wow, God, you provided again. Was that my faith or God's faithfulness? It was just constantly God's faithfulness, time and time again. It's constantly God saying, you know, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know, it's those times I remember when we first started and someone just calling us and saying, I feel like God has called me to give your church. I'm gonna give your church, and I go, what is that? I don't know you. So many bizarre things where I go, wait, what? I mean, some of you in this room are truly answers to prayers for us. We're praying for God's faithfulness to show up, and you are that answer to prayer. My, my point is with this, it's crazy how God is faithful when we are faithless. I, you have no idea how you might be someone in someone's answer to God's uh, faithfulness. Just saying, God, be faithful. And God's like, I've sent someone to you. It's just mind-blowing. I cannot boast and say I've had great faith. It's been pathetic faith. And God has been so faithful. God is so faithful. He cannot die himself. That's just who he is. There's moments you will put yourself in these vulnerable situations where you say, God, you have to show up. Like, God, if you don't show up, I don't know what I'm going to do. I remember describing, like, church plan as, like, a trust fall, and literally just, I thought I was going to fall forever. <laughs> like, all right, I'm going to take this trust fall, and, like, literally I'm going to fall off a canyon, and, like, I hope, hope God catches me. And the funny thing is, however this plays out, or, or whatever way this would have played out, God is still faithful. He's just faithful. When we get kicked out of our building for COVID, we go online, and there's no buildings willing to rent. And something opens up. God's just been faithful. He's so faithful. Whatever we might see in the future, God is just so faithful. We're praying, God, it'd be really cool if you could provide, like, some sort of place to keep our stuff in. And someone's like, hey, can I give you this box truck? Yeah. Thank you. We're praying for that. That box truck breaks. Someone goes, can I write you a check for a new box truck? Yes. Thank you. That'd be great. Like, it's crazy. Is that, like, my faith? Absolutely not. <laughs> None of this at any point in time has been my faith. It's been God's faithfulness. It's me be going, okay, I have no idea what we're going to do. Hope's lost again. And I, I'm just kind of, I just go back, and God's like, I'm just going to be faithful. 
again, it might not be when I think or how I think, but God is faithful. I don't fully get it, but I know true and faithful are your judgments, O Lord. I know that, God, whatever you decide, you're faithful, even when I'm faithless. There's a side of this, there's this big claim, honestly, throughout the New Testament of, at the end of time, when you stand before Jesus, it was God's faithfulness that got you there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, Paul talks about how he'll establish you at the coming of Jesus because he is faithful. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, let me just throw this verse up here. It says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. He's like, hey, when Jesus comes again, you want to be ready, you want to be holy, you want to be set apart. Uh, he who calls you is faithful, he's going to do it. <laughs> it's like, establish yourself, guard yourself. Ah, God's going to do it. There's just something so beautiful to me. It's like, he will surely do it. He will do it. When you stand before Jesus, you're not going to be like, oh my gosh, Jesus, like, I've been so faithful. It's like, even when we hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, you know that's God's faithfulness that got us to that place. It's like, oh, that was in mine. <laughs> but there's such a beautiful thing of just God being so faithful, even when I'm faithless. Now, there's still a call to be faithful. I'm not saying, so just lack faith. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that in spite of that, God still moves and works. Jesus, speaking to the church of Smyrna in the book of Revelation, the, the persecuted church, what does he say? He says, be faithful till the end, and you will receive the crown of life. Just be faithful to the end. So there's a side where it's like, oh, when I'm not faithful, you're, fa you're, you're faithful. But then there's this call, it's like, but I want you to be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful to the end. This is crown of life. But if I'm not faithful, God's still faith faithful. When I'm faithless, he's faithful. He cannot deny himself. But there's this call to faithfulness. It's just so bizarre. And I'm like trying to go, God, I want to be faithful. And I, I want to be faithful to the end. And I'm going to do that. And, but I also realize when I'm faithless, you are faithful. And I believe and help my unbelief. And I'm living in this tension of, God, I have faith. It's weak faith. It's not what I want it to be. God's like, a mustard seed's way more than enough. <laughs> I can do a lot with that. My, my thing is, God is so faithful even when we're faithless. It's just who he is. I'm very thankful for this. I'm very thankful that my story is not contingent upon my faithfulness, but the faithfulness of Jesus and the work of the cross and that he paid the price for my sins and it was his faithfulness. It's, why, it's by his stripes we're healed. It's by his faithfulness I have eternal life. It's because of what Jesus has done. I can boast in Jesus and the finished work of the cross and his faithfulness to get me through. Saying, Jesus, because you're faithful, I can be faithful. Because I'm, I'm in you. I'm in you. I'm arresting you. You're, I'm arresting your faithfulness. And this is one of the greatest motivations. It's no longer motivation out of work and guilt. It's motivation out of grace and receiving the finished work of Jesus. And it just changes how, how you're motivated. It changes how you serve and live and give and do life because God is faithful and he'll produce this in you as you abide in Jesus. So I'd say abide in Jesus. God's faithful. God's faithful to produce fruit in your life as you abide in Jesus. God's faithful to bring transformation as you abide in Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We know that he who began a good work in you will be, in, in some ways, faithful. He'll be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus. That's that idea. He began a good work. He'll finish it at the coming of Jesus. That's just who God is. That's what he does. He who calls you is faithful. Amen? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Okay? Yes and amen. <laughs> yes and amen. I receive that. He who calls you is faithful. Okay, yeah. I'm all, I'm all in. Amen. I receive that. He will do it. Okay. God is so faithful.